Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a feminist. But last night, I played a new game I'd never played before called Word Slam. And the idea was you'd get a card uh, that would have a clue on it, like hot air balloon. And in under a minute, uh, you have to clue your partner. But you can only use words on cards in your deck. So uh, if it was hot air balloon, uh, for example, you could do what I did and use the word transport, old-fashioned, sky, and they're sort of obviously shouting things out and trying to guess. And if you're playing with Tom Selinski, he won't know what that means. Uh, Or you could do what the opposing team did and just use the word up. And uh, with that one word, they would know that the answer was hot air balloon. Even though that team was not married and hadn't spent every waking hour of lockdown together, so should be a little bit more telepathic. But what are you going to do? I can't think what other things were old-fashioned transport in the sky, but, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, lots of rounds forced us into rather binary ways of describing things. Like, for example, when Tom Selinsky cued janitor as man-job inside building. And I said afterwards, could be a woman, janitor could be a woman, but this kept happening, and it sort of kept happening to everybody, and I wanted everyone to feel comfortable. And eventually, I said... At speed, I'd had two vodkas, accidentally, accidentally said, look, we're on the clock, we don't have time for feminism. (laughs) But it was true, though, it was that timer went very fast. And sometimes you do think of a man being a janitor, so I do think, and I am not open to discussing the words I used to describe J-Lo, but one of them was hot and I won that round, so... (laughs) 
I'm a feminist, but I make jokes about my weight sometimes on TV and other women don't like it and they send me lots of DMs about this constantly. But I like to joke about my weight because I find it funny. For example, uh, one of the jokes they didn't like was something I said about an elevator. I got into an elevator in a Debenhams and it said, this lift is over capacity and I was the only one in it. Which made half of the audience laugh, but the other half were worried about my sanity when I did that. And just to let you know, I just think it's very funny when I don't fit in stuff. And I know that's not very feminist of me, but it's funny. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but uh, recently a man told me that he had a best friend. They just so intellectually paired you know they had such brilliant deep conversations and they also had this great banter and uh they nearly kissed once but he pulled back from it um because he said i don't want to lose the friendship but then she said look i really have feelings for you and i really fancy you and you obviously fancy me and this could be perfect and he went "Mm," i just thought no i think i'd rather have the friendship and i just felt for her so much that i said what has happened to men There was a time when men would be like, yes, please, sex. What has happened to that? I mean, obviously, that's not what I said to him. That's not right. But I hear the story so much now that friends go, he's perfect for me, I'm perfect for him. He's just like, eh, I could take it or leave it. And I was like, but surely you should try it because, you know, in the words of Adele, you could have had it all. And (laughs) with a reggae beat. And I... I felt really... And then I was like, if this was a woman saying, my best friend is in love with me and I'm not in love with him, and so I'd be like, absolutely, boundaries, distance. Because it was a man, I was just like, I feel sad for her. And I think this is going to end in some kind of rom-com run to the airport. I do feel a bit bad about it, but not as bad as I should. I'm a feminist, but my boyfriend gets a lot of DMs from women who pretend to be my fans telling him how great I am. And instead of saying things to them, I um, follow them (laughs) (laughs) and become their best friend. Oh, are they DMing because they fancy him, you think? I just believe that any person who Mm. messages someone after midnight... Oh. I mean, even slightly before that, and, it, and also... What's the cut-off? 10pm? Yeah, oh, I think 10pm... A, a man there has given it a finished yeah. cut-off. He knows. 10pm is the formal cut-off. So if it's 10.01, is that... I feel that's on the That'll border. Be, I think half 10 you can do as well, but reaching 11 to 12 and onwards, I mean, you're asking for something. Mm. And he never... He's always like, they're just being friendly. <laughs> what an idiot. Um... <laughs> And I only know this because I too was in my 20s. And, um, and because of him, he should feel very flattered. Yeah. Since I've been with him and in the relationship, I've become a better feminist because of his terrible behaviour and me telling him what to do. Um, <laughs> but I've become a much stronger woman since I've been with him. But I can see stuff. I can see things before he sees them. Mm. And I will go and have a further look on their profile to just see if they're doing any of those, you know, like or like a subtweet where you're sort of trying to talk to someone without adding them and something. And mm. um, there was one recently that was talking about their ideal man and they described very much my boyfriend um, in it. But I mentioned this to him and he was like, no, they're just being friendly. <laughs> Wow. Um, but I just felt like it was 
of my duty to then become friends with them so mm. they didn't make a terrible mistake and that's coming after someone I'm with. Fair enough. Um, I'm a feminist, but today I saw a video on Twitter that was a Mexican gender reveal party and I didn't realise with a gender reveal party the parents don't know the gender of the child. Um, I mean, nobody really knows the gender of the child until the child tells the parents the gender of the child, but they don't know the assigned gender. I thought the parents knew when they were announcing it to everyone else with pink balloons or something. No. You say to the doctor, I don't want to know. I'm going to find out at my party. They give you a slip of paper and they say, don't look at it. Take it to the baker. Then tell the baker, if that says boy, make a blue cake. And if that says girl, make a pink cake. This is true. Or the helium balloon guy knows before you. It's like, what? You're telling me that that doctors who have studied for 10 years are on the phone to Clinton cards. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But I saw a Mexican one today and there were two grown-up people in, you know, have you ever seen those sumo wrestler suits? One was in a giant blue baby with a, a bald baby uh, with blue accoutrements. And the other one was a pink with a hair. Apparently, girl baby was born with more hair. Uh, pink bow, pink baby. And then these two babies had a fight while everyone around them was like, fight, fight, fight. And I was like, anybody right now in the world who is doing anything to reduce uh, the idea of the binary, as far as I'm concerned, is doing the world a massive favour. Because this is not okay. Like, this idea, this is absolutely, this is not okay. What are we doing? Before a baby is born, we're staging a fight with grown-ups dressed as babies, and one beats the other one to death. But I was quite pleased the girl won. <laughs> Excellent. Live from the New Normal Festival in London! The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. It's really nice to say that and have an audience, because normally I'm on a Zoom call and it's just four people sort of staring at me going, "Mm -hmm." Um, mm-hmm. They do try and do a bit of a yay, but, you know, there's pets in the frame. It's not the same. Um... I'm Deborah Francis White, with me is Jade Adams, and we're talking about size! Um, the reason I have a different chair isn't because I've stolen the gas chair, it's because um, I looked at that and I've been burned before. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have chair requirements? Did you? I just know metal arms aren't really my friend. <laughs> I'm, lo- I'm loving that. I'm loving a woman coming on the show and having a rider. And saying I, I didn't feel like I, I wasn't asked if I had a rider, which I'll be honest, I'll be bringing up later, Tom. Um, <laughs> but I, had, I, I looked at the chairs and I made a decision to um, save face um, and then brought it up, which is a classic comedian thing to do. But yeah, I've been stuck in chairs before. Uh, and it's always funny. You can laugh. I know there's been people in the uh, you know, media that have told you you can't laugh at a fat woman, but sometimes we do stuff that's funny. 
like getting stuck in chairs is the essence of comedy, especially with someone who's as haughty as me as well, someone as bodacious as I am, getting stuck in a chair, that's funny. Bodacious, good word. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I spent the afternoon listening to uh, No Diggity, <laughs> which isn't as feminist as it sounds. Um, uh, and it's because yesterday I was working with some very brilliant actors, teaching them to improvise, and I was interviewing one of them. I gave her like a little hat, and I asked her, why do all the other garden gnomes hate you? And... <laughs> she said that she was writing a book called The Dignity of the Gnome. This obviously then became the name of the WhatsApp group, The Dignity of the Gnome, etc. You know how these things go. I asked her what was her, the mantra inside the front cover of her book, and it was, uh, if you don't know me by now, um, you're never going to know me at all. And uh, so then, of course, on the WhatsApp group, people start coming up with puns uh, until one very funny actress just made a little meme of, uh, instead of no diggity, gnome dignity. Oh, I mean, it was, lovely. yeah, exactly. No one could do better than that. Everyone else retired from the game, uh, <laughs> understandably. And I thought, oh, I haven't heard that song for years. And so I started to play it. And it is, I have to admit, catchy and addictive. If what not... Does, as you've recently listened to it, mm. what does no diggity mean? Uh, it means seriously. So I seriously fancy you, no diggity. So like no messing, no, no lying. Uh, no one really knows what diggity means. I know I've extensively researched it. Uh, um, you do. You know, do you know what I mean? When you just kind of go, mm, I'm not sure the answer to that question. And I feel someone's going to ask me, or I just need to know now what's the origin of diggity. Uh, but I don't think it's known, the origin, but it's a Dr. Dre song. Is that right? I don't know why you're looking at me no, for that. No, fair enough. Um, um, Dr. Dre's definitely on it. I think it's like a band and Dr. Dre. If anyone knows more than me about hip-hop or anything to do with music, please shout out. I love the confidence that us two white women decided to talk about this anyway. I mean, (laughs) listen, Adele started it. (laughs) Oh, babes. I know, I know. Um, Someone's getting sacked. That's all I can say about that. um, It's not me. I didn't do it. Um, It's uh, No Diggity is... um, Hold on, I'm just looking it up for you because I don't want to give you misinformation. I don't want to leave fake news on the show. If you still don't know, we keep saying No Diggity and you don't know what it is. No Diggity. It's that. That might be more helpful. Uh, Yeah, it's... um, I'm just... But he keeps saying... I think he wants to bag it. And I looked into that and uh, it means you wish to put a condom on it. Which are... Safety first, safety first. I want to bag it, no diggity, apparently. I don't. don't. No worries, I'm going to put a condom on. Maybe, maybe that's what it means. Well, what a feminist song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) uh, Maybe, no, yeah, no diggity. No no diggity. I feel we should bring it back. It's a good expression. It was very big at a time, no diggity. (laughs) Let's use it all night. (laughs) Probably not. Let's let's use gnome gnome dignity, I think, is probably an acceptable version that... you and I can use. So, before we go on, I'm going to say who our guest is today. She's an incredible writer, and she's written a book called Fatally Ever After, A Black Fat Girl's Guide to Living Life Unapologetically, and her name is Stephanie Yeboa. So, I thought it was good to talk about size and taking up space. Because there is a difference between feeling fat Mm. and being fat. Feeling fat is a a really valid uh, feeling, especially if you've spent your whole life having family members and stuff say mad stuff at you. Like, I had an uncle. 
He doesn't listen to this podcast, I don't think. And he came up to me at my sister's wedding. She had eight bridesmaids. Of course she did, princess. She had eight bridesmaids, and every single bridesmaid had a boyfriend, and I didn't have one, and three of the bridesmaids were under 10 years old. <laughs> wow. I'd done all the hair and makeup for all the, my, the bride and the bridesmaid. I had a very, very busy morning. I was just looking in a mirror, putting some eyeliner on, and an uncle comes up to me, puts his hands around my waist, and says, if you lost some weight, you could get yourself a boyfriend. And I said, well, if you weren't such a prick, maybe Auntie Margaret might fuck you some more. <laughs> And then I had a huge adrenaline explosion and had to go off because I couldn't believe I got something out because I don't normally, I'm not, you know, mm. when, I, when I'm angry, I don't normally get that out. But because I'd been so good at doing the hair and makeup, I was full of confidence because everyone was like, Jade's really smashed this wedding. And I was like, yes, I have. And I'm single. <laughs> Absolutely. I had a man at a wedding once and he would always have digs about my weight the whole time. And he wasn't, like, related to me, or he was, like, the father of someone I knew. And he used to really get to me that every single chance he got, he would say something. And this one night, I was all dressed up, I was feeling fabulous, and I think I'd emceed the event, because I was the comedian friend. You know when you're the comedian friend and you have to emcee the event? To make it bearable. <laughs> oh, no, no, they had asked me to. Oh, had they? Yeah. Oh, uh, I just end up piping up at any event oh, see, that I'm no, invited to. It wasn't, no, it wasn't a spontaneous emceeing. <laughs> I'm sure I have done that. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't, no, I was asked. And so I thought, oh, I'm not going to be able to drink properly till I've done, you know, my proper job and everything. But I'd, I'd smashed it and everyone had loved it. And then I think there was, oh, that's right, there was a breakfast the next morning. So I was the sort of star of the breakfast, as you can imagine. And he just came up, I can't even quite remember what he said now, but it was something about, you know, me being two sizes too big or something like that. It was something like that. And I just looked at him and I said, you really want me, don't you? Because I just thought, I just thought that's got to be what it is. So I'm just, because I was feeling a bit starry and I wasn't feeling, you know, often that kind of thing will make you just feel like weeping and like, why do you need to say that? And what are you saying that for? And what's that about? And then you feel like, what's wrong with my size anyway? And like all of that, it's very complicated. But I just had that feeling of going, I bet this is about you wanting to fuck me. And, and it always is. It's got, it's, I reckon 99% of the time it has to be. Especially and, if you're confident as well. Mm, it's all, that's what like, they can't stand. Well, look, I watched The Fool with Gillian Anderson. I'm sorry, I've just got there. I'm sorry if you've already been there. But the thing about her and what makes her such a magnet is the fact that she does not give a shit and they cannot stand it and they want her. And it's the same. Mm. If you are, if there's anything slightly different about you and you're confident, if someone wants to bring you down, they will find the thing that they think that you're insecure about. They'll find that thing that makes you feel like a victim. And that's... it was pressing on you know, childhood issues. You know, I was raised on the beach and stuff like that. And this is not me doing a very sad story about... I don't... Were you raised on a beach? Yeah. <laughs> Entirely on a beach. Uh, where we lived, it was council zoning. There were no houses allowed. It was a simple beach situation. You were allowed an umbrella... Uh, and one of those beach umbrellas if you were a family of four, but other than that, no. Um, other than that, you, you know, you could, you, you could have a kayak. I mean, they weren't, it wasn't, it wasn't um, that draconian. But, um, 
No, I did. I grew up on the beach, and it was all very where I grew up. Sorry, but I, I must say at this point, I don't identify as fat. This is not. I'm not being one of those Instagram uh, women who go, "Oh, look at me when I go a bit like that." You can, you know, my stomach isn't as flat as when I'm kind of lying down and sucking it in. I'm not doing that. I was probably like a size 16 to 18, and I'm a, probably a 14 now. I mean, your feelings are your feelings. This is also not to negate Fe- this anyone's feelings. This is why I brought this up, is feelings are valid, and that thing I said about feeling fat and being fat, I will get to the being fat section in a second. In a second. But this is but this about, is feeling, about feeling, feeling fat, because they um, are valid feelings, uh, because we've been through people saying shit at us, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as a kid, I got to a sort of teenage you know, age where I put on hips and a bum. chubby. Yeah, I turned into a teenager and I developed... And where I was, the currency was to be as small as possible, petite as possible, very short, very narrow. Uh, <laughs> is that, is that, that sounded like the patriarchy. The that was the laugh. That was the roaring laugh of the patriarchy, wasn't it? Was that the man who used to taunt me at the family events? I don't know. Um, Uncle Philip? <laughs> Um, I, yeah, so I've of course had issues about it and, you know, I've been lots of different sizes just to sort of cover, but I don't identify as fat. Uh, <laughs> what is going on? What is it you a bird? Do? It might be a bird, actually. This place has had a lot of things happen in it. <gasps> is this going to turn into the first haunted guilty feminist? Well, it is because... Stop it. It used well. This has been many things. One of the things this has been is an MI5 interrogation building, and I just love it when they turn buildings like that into liberal centres for creative workshops. I just think that. <laughs> Do you think I was those have them in? I once stayed in a hotel that someone put me in that was a sort of converted prison. It just felt really wrong, you know, like that sort of you know. There's gentrification, and then there's just sort of you know, we'll have this prison and we'll turn it into some flats. Yeah, but it was like like a really like one of those boutique sort of four-star so hotels, but it was like boutique, so it had sort of like really posh soaps and rolled-up baths and stuff like that. And I was just like, this, I can feel the pain in the, in the walls. Well, there's a woman, I just read on the walls, a woman called Charlotte, I believe. Oh, Is that God, correct? it's not one of the stories where they locked her in and stuff. They her. locked her in! They locked her in a room, and now she haunts the... No! She haunts the hallways. But what a great guest for the guilty feminist. <laughs> I mean, if anyone knows the patriarchy, it's a woman who's literally been locked in a gothic building. And, and burned alive, just to let you know no! that bit. <laughs> Basically, she had a candle in there, one of them old oil burner ones, and there was, like, apparently some chiffon on the curtains. <gasps> Not chiffon, lace, Are you whatever. Are this up or is this real? No, this is real. I read it on the wall on the way in. Did anyone else read this on the wall? Yeah. Oh, my God, we can confirm. Yeah. And her name's Charlotte. And her name was Charlotte. And do they say she haunts the halls? And she haunts the halls. You might see her, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, if we hear any loud laughing, we know it's our friend Charlotte. She's probably wanting to be involved because she has been locked and burned alive. By by the patriarchy. Yeah, okay. By the patriarchy. This was a long time ago. I've got a question. Why are there never ghosts in Morrison's? (laughs) Are Morrison's generally built in... Old asylums? Everywhere you've been, someone died there. It's just the facts of life. (laughs) Where you're sat right now, someone's probably died there. It's a really good point, actually. So you're saying if someone has a heart attack in Morrison's, why don't they haunt Morrison's? It's always spooky Victorian girls that get burned in buildings that hang around for ages. Why isn't Clive, 86-year-old Clive, who loved Morrison's, but he, he had way too many M&Ms and he killed over, why doesn't he haunt Morrison's? Well, do you know what? Maybe he does, but 
If you've been sort of trapped in a building or something, the way you haunt is just more ostentatious because you're trying to remind everybody and sort of be released to the other side or something. Whereas if you saw an old man shopping in Morrison's, you wouldn't assume he was a ghost, but maybe he is. <laughs> See what I mean? Maybe he's just pushing, pushing the trolley around happily. And we're no longer touching each other, so we don't and know. We don't know. Or not, we he's don't a ghost. Know. If I were a ghost, I'd wear a mask now. You'd fit right in. So that's all I'm saying. We've solved the mystery. We should do true crime, because we've solved the mystery. Feminist true crime. I think it's already been done. I think it might be be your double-act partner, Kiri's with her other double-act partner. She's already doing that and would be livid. Can you imagine if you started a true crime podcast with me? Oh, we'd be like, what? Sorry? (laughs) No, we just came up with this. There were, like, loads of witnesses. Um, Ah! We cannot oh, do I that. just wanted to say about the feeling fat and being yes. fat thing. So feeling fat, as we've explained, is an experience that we've all been through. And it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't actually, you know, it's a feeling inside of us. And sometimes we can get rid of it or we can just like try and, you know, overcome it or, overcome it or whatever. But being fat, mm. when you're living in a world that has nothing built for you, where getting on airplane seats is such an ordeal because <laughs> the people that work at EasyJet don't know how to talk to you correctly mm. and sometimes you just want them to like leave you alone and they come over to you and you're like I don't want any fuss about this at all and they're like yeah but you need to put the armrest down I'm like, well you know it's going to come straight back up when you go over there or you know the mm. the experience of being over the size of things that are like for example this chair I would have you know I'm a comedian so I can handle it but like just having someone like get up off of a chair and it's still stuck to your ass can be ma- do you know what I did once I had a house party, this was a few years ago, and I w- invited everyone into the living room. I was like, we're going to do a song. Got the piano, we're going to have a big song. And I was like, come on, everyone. I made them leave all of their little social groups at the house party and took them into the living room, and it was like, oh, come on, guys, let's, let's be like the Victorians and haunt halls no let's be like the victorians and like you know sing for each other and i made such a big deal about it and took them into the room and got down on the piano and turned around to talk to everyone and the chair just went (laughs) underneath it and i was on the floor going it was already broken it was already (laughs) at that point everyone had just left the room and it was utterly mortifying (laughs) but that's the experience and why i sort of joke about people that um are sort of you know like it's great that lots of people are talking about body positivity in places that don't normally speak about it I merely comment that, you know, wouldn't it be fantastic to actually hear from people who experience that? Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, you know, wouldn't it just be fantastic if women just weren't talking about their fucking weight? Mm. Wouldn't it just be like, I know we've just. <laughs> and all of these, all of these. These conversations that we're having are really important. Stephanie's book is super important. But what I hope in the future, and and I don't know if it's just wishful thinking, is that men in the patriarchy will stop distracting us with conversations about our bodies. Because that's what they're doing. Because we're very fucking clever. And they distract us with all this image shit. And none of it fucking matters. And what they're distracting us from is our knowledge that we could actually run things much better than everyone else. And they... It makes us stupid. It, it makes us thick to be thinking about that. I love fashion and stuff, like that image-wise about fashion, but like the obsession over the sort of individual bits of a, of a body. Mm. Like I had my friend over at my house a couple of weeks ago and she spent the entire time just pinching bits of her body going, oh, if I got rid of this, I got rid of this. Oh my God, like something else. Let's talk about, let's talk about like, you know, what change you can actually make and you know it's a distraction technique I'm sure of it 
forgotten how to use a microphone because I've been trapped in my own home, which has very few microphones and absolutely no other human beings except uh, my husband, Tom, and the cats who've been upgraded. Um, has no one else upgraded their pets to full human being status? <laughs> I'm counting Alexa. I, I find I'm being a lot less rude to Alexa now in, in these times. I used to, used to be, you know, you're just chatting and you say, oh, is Alex coming to the pub tonight or something like that? You know, when you, not that we would say that now, we don't go to pubs. But when we said those things, you, you know, when you'd mention something like Alex, does your Alexa just go, oh, I'm not sure what you wanted? And they go, not you, Alexa, not you, Alexa. My Alexa is, I think, especially sensitive because when I play the Hamilton soundtrack... She comments on every line. Because Alexander Hamilton. I'm not sure I understood that. My name is Alexander Hamilton. What can I help you with? Nothing, Alexa. It's not about you. It's about a founding father. He's a very controversial figure. I'm not sure I understood that. Um, Alexander Hamilton. Pizza Express is not open in Camden at the moment. Man, I don't, I don't understand it. Anyway, so uh, I have found I am nicer to her now because I used to be really rude. I used to be like, nothing to do with you. I'm never talking to you, Alexa. It's never, I'm never talking to you. Tom talks to her, actually. There was a little while where I thought they were having an affair because... <laughs> no, I did, because he talks to her more than he talks to me. The way he uses her name, you know, like he never says to me, Deborah, would you like a cup of tea? But he always goes, Alexa... What's the temperature? And I'm like, you know, if you can feel it, why are you asking? You just want a chat. You just want the attention of a woman. It's just one time, I swear to you, I came in and he was like having a full chat. And I was like, what's going on? And he went, oh. And he was like, like he'd been caught. Like, and I was like, what? What's going on? And he went, no. Um, Alexa asked if, if, if this is true, if I wanted her to use my name. And I was like, well, that's weird. Who else is she talking to? And he went, I said, yeah. And then she said, well, you'll have to teach me. And like, basically, you have to answer a bunch of questions, apparently. So she's asking him all these personal questions. And then every time he answers, she says, oh, thank you, Tom. I'm telling you, there's something going on. Look, I'm open to it. I'm fine with it. I'm absolutely fine. I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm fine with it. Oh, hello. Um, I'm fi- I, thought she was, I thought she'd just come in. And I was like, oh, my God. Alexa's turned up at the gig. She's going to be a friend. I, t- I genuinely jumped and went, she's here. She's here. She's come out. She's following us now. She's out the house. Because I feel like she listens everywhere. Someone will have some kind of Alexa device on them. Either that or all of the series are planning together to send her a message. She's just getting it bombarded. Anyway, uh, this is not prepared material, obviously. Um, LAUGHTER This is me more leaving the house and meeting people again and just saying all of the things that are going on in my brain, uh, which, and my brain at the moment is slightly more... Oh, hello, there's Tom. Hi, Tom. I forgot you were here. (laughs) I thought thought you were home with Alexa. It's actually our our wedding anniversary today. (laughs) That's right, that's right, which Alexa refuses to acknowledge. Um, (laughs) What's the date we got, Alexa? He says he has no idea. He knows. He knows. Oh, he knows. They know. They know. I'm just not involved in that thing. Uh, So thank you so much for coming out uh, to what is our second uh, live show post the most intense period of lockdown. 
um, I mean, it's funny this because we thought. I think we thought. Well, when we're back, we'll be back, and it's not worked like that at all. It's like you can have one gig outside, and then nothing. <laughs> then there's another gig outside. It'll probably be too cold after this. The end. I'm like. <laughs> I feel like I'm just getting to grips with being in front of an audience again, so I'm very delighted and excited to be here. Uh, we have got something coming up at the London Podcast Festival, which is going to be at King's Place, but because it's indoors, you'll have to sit uh, far away from people like you don't like them, or like I'm as unsuccessful as I was when I used to do the Edinburgh Festival every year. It's going to really trigger me. It's going to be like, oh, they're all sitting really far apart. And no one wanted to come. Um, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrible. But I will find a way to process the fact that you will be sitting far apart. Please come. Um, uh, so, yeah, we're doing that. But I, now I just don't know. Like, we keep saying, oh, well, maybe we'll be allowed to do a Christmas show. Maybe we won't. Maybe it'll be freezing cold in winter and the virus will love that and want to come indoors with us and destroy all pantos. Uh, which, and panto seems to be the only form of theatre that the current British government understands exists. That's all they talk about when they refer it. They go, we know it's going to really hit the theatre hard with no panto because that's, the o that's what you do all year round, isn't it? That's what you do all year round and uh, just I just I don't know I don't know I'm just imagining that's the only thing they come to maybe I don't know I sort of almost have nightmares about it just imagining being on stage like an actor's nightmare of Michael Gove the only person in the audience shouting the coronavirus is behind you um, <laughs> I can only assume. So who knows where we'll be, but doesn't matter where we will be, it's where we are tonight. We can only live in the now, and now we are here, the Guilty Feminist, live with an audience. I would touch you if I were legally allowed, but I'm not, so I will just offer you my elbow, and if you can offer yours at distance, great. That's not a distance, but that's it's fine. It's fine. It's human contact. It's brought tears to my eyes. Um, I'm sorry, I seem to have elbowed a man at a feminist show, but you're very welcome, and... Uh, <laughs> You're welcome to walk among us. Um, I know, I, I, no, I believe, I believe men can be feminists. They're not normally, but I believe they can be. And they're not, they're not fully. They're not fully, but they can be. They can be. It's a bit like when I upgrade my pets to human beings. I, I mentally upgrade a man to a feminist sometimes if I know them well. You're sitting in the front row. You're here. You're willing to learn. You're making direct eye contact with me. It's your own fault. Um, what's your name? Giles. Well, thank you so much for coming, Giles. Do you listen to The Guilty Feminist? Great. Okay, great. Super. Um, have you listened for long? Oh, is, you got him into it? Did you feel he needed to learn? <laughs> what was that? He's better than you are. That's such a woman thing to say. <laughs> I, I, introduced, I introduced my boyfriend to feminism six months ago and he's better than me already. He's better than me. He probably always was. I don't even know why I need to listen. It's not him that needs to listen. Oh. We've been trained well by the patriarchy. Um, but thank you for bringing Giles and introducing him. And thank you for coming. Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. Two weeks ago, we welcomed three amazing yoga and wellness teachers onto the podcast, and we've now launched our series of online workshops with them and shortly some others as well. The first workshop will be Mindfulness and Movement with Dr. Stacey C.C. Graham. It's on Wednesday, the 16th of September, 
5pm to 6pm UK time and it will be delivered over Zoom and we'll be adding more classes over the next few weeks. Classes are offered on a sliding pay scale in an effort to make them more financially accessible while still ensuring teachers are paid appropriately for their time. To book your place, go to guiltyfeminist.com slash be hyphen well or look for the link in our show notes. And also, we have just a few places left on the next series of Big Speeches workshops with Jessica Regan. This series of three interactive workshops will take place on Saturday mornings at 11am, starting this Saturday, the 12th of September. As I record this, there are just three places left, so hurry if you want to claim one. You can also buy my book, The Guilty Feminist, buy our merch from our merch store, and support us on Patreon. Thanks so much for all of our supporters. You've really kept us going while we've been unable to record live shows in theatres. We'll have lots more videos, exclusive audio clips, Zoom hangouts and special events for you soon. And it would really help us out if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Maybe tell someone else about it. Uh, Send them a link. Uh, That would be so, so helpful. Thank you so much. And now back to the podcast. So I promised Stephanie Yeboah I would read a little bit from her book so you could get the context for it. This is called The 300-Pound Dare. I can't wait to meet you, Steph. I've even bought you a gift. As I minimized the WhatsApp conversation on my phone, I was filled with dread about what the next evening would bring. It was a couple of weeks before Christmas, and I was going on my first date since the end of my last relationship two years ago. To say I was extremely nervous was a severe understatement. I'd been talking to Robert, as he should be called for the remainder of this story, for a couple of weeks after matching each other on a dating app, eventually moving onto WhatsApp, and all seemed to be going well. Since the demise of my last relationship, I'd been a bit wary of the opposite sex and had gone into every new dating app chat with a high degree of skepticism. However, Robert seemed different. He was funny, seemingly very intelligent, open-minded, ambitious, and more importantly, accepted and seemed to prefer the fact that I was bigger. Side note, it seems a bit silly to have to declare something as trivial as one's weight on an app, but due to how a large percentage of plus-size women are treated in the dating world, some of us choose to add a note about our weight to our profiles, almost as some kind of disclaimer. It's even worse when your weight intersects with something such as race or gender. I'll touch on this later, but back to the nonsense. Date night with Robert finally came around, and I was practically bursting into flames with excitement. We'd agreed to meet in Vauxhall, southwest London, for a couple of drinks. I arrived at the venue early and tweeted a cute picture of myself telling my followers that I was out on a first date, as you do. Robert arrived and the date began. We had a great time during the three or so hours we spent together. We laughed, we exchanged hilarious date fail stories, we spoke about our families, likes and dislikes, just normal date stuff, you know. He'd even bought me a little ornament for my room, as I told him I was still doing it up, which was sweet. At the end of the night, we made out and he said he wanted to see me again. Good so far, am I right? That if I talk loudly, it's because it's in caps. Just to be clear, that um, that ornament bit would have been a fucking red flag. Really? Mm. <laughs> what the fuck is this, mate? Yeah. Uh, hot, strap in, kids. There's so many red flags coming. You could make bunting. A week later and hours of speaking on the phone and texting throughout the night, we decided that he'd come over to my flat and we'd watch a few shows while I cooked. I know, I know, rookie mistake. Like I said, I am still a dating newbie, okay? Obviously, one thing led to another and we ended up making whoopee. Hold on. Stephanie, is this in the year 1955? (laughs) You look so young. That was the last... 
come away. Just thought I'd add some. Yeah, no, no, yeah, good, good. I didn't realise that was a sexy music. Oh yeah, Ace Ventura when nature calls. Oh, okay. I think of it as the song that Ross sang to his monkey. <laughs> That is true. Mm. But they were always... There was always something going on there, wasn't there? It was a bit much, that. I don't know. I'm not saying Ross was having an... Anyway, I'll get back to the book. Okay, so obviously one thing led to another and we ended up making Whoopi. Cut to a couple of months later when I received an email from a friend of his. Apparently, Robert had shown my blog to his friends for approval a little before our first date. This friend tells me that in the interests of full transparency and his own guilt, he thought he should let me know that the reason I had not heard from Robert since our second date was because he had been dared to pull a fat chick. And upon completing the dare, had won a sum of money his friends had pooled, a lovely 300 quid. In that moment, I felt sick. A wave of embarrassment and humiliation washed over me, and I went into my bathroom and cried. I'd been terrified of meeting and talking to men for fear of them judging my appearance, as this had happened countless times before. As much as I know that I'm an awesome person with a lot to offer, I am also blindingly aware that the way I look is not what mainstream society considers to be beautiful. And that's something I always have to think about and carry with me. In the moments while reading the email, I could literally feel my confidence and self-esteem draining away. The self-esteem that I had fought so hard to regain after my last breakup, gone just like that. Suddenly, I didn't feel human. I felt like someone's gross plaything to pick up and leave whenever they wanted without any regards to my feelings or thoughts. I felt absolutely worthless and undeserving of love or desire. What should have been a lovely couple of dates, a bid to improve my confidence and self-esteem while tackling the shark-infested waters of dating, had turned into a teaching moment for me and definitely made me feel a lot more wary about dating in general and, more importantly, trusting men. Sadly, my story isn't an isolated incident. We've all heard of sick pranks such as the pull-a-pig game, which involves a group of men daring each other to hook up with the least attractive woman in their eyes in order to gain clout. There are tales as long as my arm from fellow plus-size women who have been duped or tricked in this way, and after I shared what happened on Twitter, I received a ton of emails from women who had been through exactly the same thing. Frankly, a discussion needs to be had about it. Dating as a plus-size woman, you see, is an exercise rooted more in frustration, anger, and patience than in romance. When you are not being ignored by prospective interests, you are either being subjected to humiliation and abuse or you are fetishized for your weight. Either way, the abject failure to consider the feelings of the plus-size woman in these situations is just another example of the ways in which we are not afforded the luxury of being treated as human beings. Uh, please welcome to the stage the incredible Stephanie Yaboa. Hello, hello, hi. Hi. Is there, is there any satisfying ending to his story? There isn't. Uh, no, no. Do you want me to make one? <laughs> <laughs> we could find him. That would um, be amazing. Well, let's go round and find him now, together, all of us. <laughs> this whole audience of guilty feminists has come and knock on the door. I know a guy called, uh, called Royston. He lives in Bristol. He can sort anyone out. Oh, all right? Really? 
that would be That is amazing. not the official policy of the guilty feminist. Uh, we have no uh, current associations with Royston. I'm not ruling out uh, hiring him on this occasion. It's an extreme situation. I'll be honest, um, Deborah. He's been offering for about 15 to 20 years to have people sorted out. The guy's 79 now. He could... He could he oh, bless him. He's there for us, you know. I don't want to be ageist. I don't want to assume a 79-year-old cannot sort someone out. But the I sort mean, of he sort may have seen more action than neither you or I. The sort of sorting out he's talking about, I'm pr- I saw him walk some stairs once and uh, it, it ain't happening. Okay, all right. We will find a younger Royston. No, we, won't, we, we don't need... I mean, frankly, I mean, that man can do one and we don't need to spend any more time on him. Mm. But you asked me to read that passage when I would talk, we talked about reading something out. And it, I have to say, when I read the book, it did stand out to me as like a most remarkable thing. Can I say thank you for your candour in writing it? It's important for everyone to hear about it, but I don't want to assume there's no cost in you sharing it. Yeah, definitely. I think it was important for me to, because when I spoke about it on Twitter and online a couple of years ago, um, you know, there were a lot of comments from people saying, you should have just kept the L and you should have, like, kept this story to yourself and, you know, why are you embarrassing yourself on Twitter and stuff? But the reason that I spoke so publicly about it was because I just felt like, 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 like I said in the book, there needs to be a conversation surrounding the way in which some plus-size women are treated with dating. And, you know, I'm very aware that there are loads of plus-size women in very happy relation- and loving relationships. But... I guess speaking in general, it can be extremely dehumanizing and some of the things that happen within that community and arena is very, very traumatizing, but it's not spoken about because for Mm -hmm. the most part, you know, being seen with somebody bigger um, can sometimes be like the butt of a joke a lot of the time Mm -hmm. and people see being bigger sometimes as like, like especially when it's a smaller guy and a bigger girl, sometimes people see it as quite like funny or like comedic and sometimes, you know, it's not the same the other way around. It's quite normalised the other way around. And Mm. so I just think it's important to kind of have these conversations about a subsection of people that are going through a lot of pain and stuff. (laughs) Yes, it absolutely is. It's a phenomenal book. And you talk about how race intersects, and it, it actually says it on the cover, how does race play into it? So I think the way in which race comes into it, it kind of comes from slavery, colonialization, those kinds of issues, where unfortunately black bodies, black female bodies especially, have been hypersexualized very much so. They've been objectified. In the book, I talk about a lady called Sarah Bartman who was South African and she was brought to the UK because she had a really big bum and she had like a really long labia and it was, you know, that was just the bodily characteristics of her tribe in South Africa. And she was brought to the UK and put in a human zoo Mm. and she had loads of men prodding her and um, she would be made to perform because people thought she was feral and animalistic and weird. And upon her death, I think at the age of maybe 24, she didn't even have any dignity in death. She was put in a museum in France and her body and her labia was put on display. And so she didn't have the dignity in death that she did in life. And her body and her remains were only taken back to South Africa to be laid to rest in 2003. And so there are these stereotypes that I think a lot of people tend to put onto black women, especially when you are darker skinned. So it's very aggressive, uh, sassy, dominant. Those are kind of like the three words that are used quite often. Strong, um, hyper-confident, all of these Strong things. Strong-willed. Strong-willed, yeah. And so when it comes to the dating scene, you do often get the fetishizing element of men thinking that oh this person is a uh, fat and black so she must be a dominatrix or she must be you know very strong and can like 
you know, whip me about and all of that kind of stuff. And, and actually, so, you're on, let, take me back to the 1950s and fuck me missionary. Is what you want. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not all of us are like that. So, um, yeah, there was a yeah, huge sort a, of there's racial There's the same fetish. spectrum of sexuality in any cross-section of human beings. Yeah, exactly. It's, just, it's an imposition or a projection. Exactly. And I think... Um, yeah, this whole kind of hypersexualization of bigger bodies is something that has been carried around for for such a long time. And when you talk about like fetishism and all of these things, it can be quite dehumanizing. I remember doing a little Google search a few years ago and I put in white plus size woman or white fat woman, something like that. We've done and, the same Google search. Yeah, and loads of images of body positivity, how to love yourself, how like very lovely kind of wholesome content about self-love and I did the same for fat black women and it was all porn all bbw we were reduced to nothing but a category on Pornhub and so it really spoke to me the ways in which people see bodies and color and the things that they attribute to Mm -hmm. to bodies Today there was a tweet from Glamour and you said, I love you, Glamour, but... I genuinely couldn't work out in the two pictures which was meant to be... It's one of these sort of all-angles things where people on Instagram go, if I sort of hold my stomach in and look at that angle, look, I look all, you know, like an Instagram model. But if I sit down and slouch, you'll be able to see that I have a tummy, basically. I couldn't work out which photo was which. It just both looked like a woman in a bikini. Yeah. It just, I just, I was genuinely going, in which one are you meant to look like, oh, you're so relatable... Um, now I've seen you. Now I've seen you here. I feel so much better about myself. And I'm like, why should either of these pictures have anything to do with me? Neither of these pictures have anything to do with me. What was your comment about it? I just don't think it's that groundbreaking or like huge for people that live in privileged bodies to kind of be like, oh, I'm slim. Now I just have a little bit of fat. I think, you know, I'm sorry, but I think it's true. I think, especially when it comes to issues of body positivity, that is such a nuanced issue because you know I talk about in the book that body positivity was a movement that was specifically created by black women so it was black fat women that started the movement and as it gained prominence in the US (laughs) and in the UK we started to see a bit of a shift in who was being represented and so the bodies that saw it as a safe space for them to celebrate their curves and just talk about their lived experiences were being sidelined in favor of you know your Ashley Grahams, your Iskra Lawrences, sort of smaller, very, very beautiful white women. And it was becoming very whitewashed. And so I feel like women who were a lot larger, say, you know, size 24 over um, disabled women, black women and women of color, they no longer really see that movement as a space that is meant for them because there is a standard of beauty now within body positivity in that you're not given as much visibility if you do not fit within that standard of beauty, which is your kind of exaggerated hourglass shape. And so for me, I just think it's important to kind of centralize bodies that do not suffer from societal privilege in this movement and in general as well. Mm, Indeed. Um, Oh, thanks, guys. (laughs) I I love the names of your chapters. Um, So the chapter I read from is called Navigating the Cesspit of Fuckery That Is Dating. Um, It's my favourite title. I love it. So chapter one is called Body Positivity. Okay, but give black women back their things. (laughs) Uh, Chapter six, this fat body has been complicit in breaking my brain. And uh, chapter eight, the Lizzo effect, otherwise known as about fucking time. Um, 
could you please uh, tell us about the chapter called The Lizzo Effect, otherwise known as About Fucking Time? Yeah, so the Lizzo effect is basically that chapter is all about my love for Lizzo and everything that she represents. Yes, everything that she represents for plus size black women specifically, because I think it's amazing that young girls and boys can now grow up and see themselves in a sense on TV. When I was growing up, I didn't really have anybody to kind of look up to or feel like I had somebody that represented me because the only fat black women that I saw on TV were always maids and slaves or sassy best friends. And so that wasn't really an adequate reflection of who I thought could represent me. And so with Lizzo, she's just, you know worked hard and she has completely just taken over the game she has been such a huge source of inspiration for me and her music um, is so good her music is amazing and it just shows that you know you can be fat but you can be multifaceted I think one of the big things that society in general has against fat people is that they see us as a monolith so they see us in the way in which we're portrayed on TV, fat, lazy, stupid, always eating, you know, all of these really negative mm. attributes, but we can sing and dance and play the flute and twerk for two hours a night. Um, you know, we can do all of these amazing things and it's quite rubbish to kind of say, but great as well. She was the first plus size black woman on the front cover of Vogue, like ever. Mm. And that was only last year. And for me, like, I bought, like, 10 copies of that. I was just like, you know what, I'm cementing this because mm -hmm. I never in my life thought that I would ever see somebody that looked like me represented on the front cover of Vogue. And for me, that was a huge kind of moment in history for a lot of, you know, black young girls who they never thought they would be represented mm -hmm. in the media because it very much glorifies whiteness as being the default and everything else is other. And mm -hmm. so to kind of have us be seen is incredibly important and that's something that I think Lizzo you know has really She's, provided for us and it's going yeah. to change especially the lives of the people right now who yeah. are experiencing this like absolutely obviously when we were younger this didn't exist but the people that are alive now like it's society changing it's really exciting to think mm. because of people like her what is her inspiration going to make out of someone else? Someone else, yeah. Like how that's is, exciting. How exciting is that to know that there's going to be some inspired young girl who's really young right now, but at some point she's going to achieve something amazing because yeah. she saw this incredible woman on, on... I just... I think it's great to always reflect on... There are so many terrible things that happen, but sometimes to reflect on someone like her and go, she's just fucking great. Yeah. Mm. And, and her music's great as well. I just want to put that out there again, right? Just because I didn't know, because I normally don't listen to things or watch things if everyone's been banging on about it. I'm like, oh, shut up. So I'll always come at <laughs> stuff much later. And so I literally got into Lizzo three and a half weeks ago. Oh, what? three and a half weeks? Oh, I, my I, God. Not because for any reason. I listen to classical music and opera all the fucking time and musical theatre and that's it. Three and a half weeks ago, we had uh, Richard bought uh, a vinyl. It came, I put it on with cleaning, and I was like, where the fuck have I been? Yeah. <laughs> see, I found out about Lizzo a few years ago, but I knew I was late to the party because everyone was like, oh, are you going to see Lizzo? She was in London. And I was like, Lizzo, going to see her, didn't get a ticket, sadly. Have you got one? But before that, the first time I'd ever heard her talked about, someone was calling her the Queen, and I thought that it was their nickname for the Queen was Lizzo. Because <laughs> like, sometimes people call her Liz. And I was like, Lizzo, oh, I was just like, and, but they were all talking about it. And they were like, I was like, oh, I had no idea you were such a monarchist, you know, because they were very enthusiastic. 
And, um, and then one of them started singing Jerome, and I realised, I don't think that's... I don't think the Queen's <laughs> dropped. I don't think Her Majesty has dropped Jerome. Because well, there was such a, a loud reaction to that three and a half week. But just to let you know, I had heard some songs. I just hadn't sat and listened to the album mm. from right. start to finish. I knew who she was, obviously, but I hadn't sat and enjoyed her before you take any of that judgment and put it anywhere on the internet, <laughs> all right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, look, I'm the same. I'm not very good with contemporary music, as you know, because I, I Googled today what no diggity meant. But <laughs> I, I'm it also very no musical doubt, by the way. <laughs> it means what? No, no doubt. doubt. No doubt. Yeah, like, like, not lying. Not, yeah, yeah, that's like seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what, where I looked up and said seriously, like seriously, seriously, yeah. no diggity, no diggity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But thank you for clarifying. We really didn't know, to be honest. Yeah. Um, thank you. Is there anything else we should know about no diggity that I feel like I, that we said wrongly? Um, I know it's a sample of an older song, but I can't remember what the song is. Bill Withers. Uh, oh, ah. not, Bill Withers. Oh, okay. there we go. I know who Bill Withers is and uh, I just haven't listened to his full album. Um, <laughs> I definitely know who he is though. Bill Withers, take your ass home. Um, It's very similar. Uh, Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We were talking earlier in the dressing room and I kept killing conversations in the dressing room because I was like, no, save it for the stage, save it for the stage. But when we were talking about that horrible man on the dating app, the thing is, he snogged you, he shagged you, he obviously had a good time. And I think because you know if someone's having a nice time with you in bed or not, we were saying like, if men have a thing about it, it's generally that they fancy you. And you were saying, I'm not sure that's true. See, I think a lot of desirability is fashion. What's put in front of us is desirable changes our vision of what's desirable. We're very, very easily influenced and what's in fashion. And if you go and look in art galleries, thin is not really fashionable now. It's not fashionable right at this second, but actually was fashionable for a very short period. And this is not to in any way denigrate uh, thin bodies either. We need to stop. We need to sort of stop making things fashionable and saying, this is the only thing that's desirable. Yeah. Um, we need to completely stop doing it. But there will always be things that are more or less fashionable. Do you think that just the representation of Lizzo changes the desirability of bodies around her? I mean, I, I hope so. I think she's probably at the moment one of the more prominent um, kind of plus size performers, women out there who, who's doing their thing. And so she's especially in the States, she's done a huge job of, you know, changing what it means to be beautiful, what it means to be big and, you know, active and doing all of these amazing things. But I, I honestly think, especially with Instagram, we're still in the throes of seeing bodies like the Kardashians and Nicki Minaj and the sort of 
extreme hourglass, you know, fake bum kind of trend is still kind of raging. It's still kind of having its moment. I think for me personally, I'm just very wary and, you know, hypercritical of when guys, you know, kind of say that they like have a preference for bigger women just because of my personal experience even though I know you know there are people that are genuine you know genuinely do like different kinds of bodies but I think it's important to normalize bigger bodies generally so that people you know don't see us and like recoil with disgust or have unsolicited comments about our weight or our health or you know those kinds of things so I think Lizzo is doing a great job in you know just normalizing bodies that aren't a size 10. And I think we just need to see more of that, both in the media and online and, and all of these other avenues where different bodies are shown all the time. Mm. I um, will say about the uh, fear of finding someone who might fetishize your size, I had exactly the same fear. And then I met someone who is into bigger women. And it's not a fetish. It's literally because he, <laughs> he has more fun with them. <laughs> um, <laughs> And he's just always like you know he sees he goes for women on personality and all of his exes all have we all have I, I hate it but we're, we all have un- <laughs> I thought I was unique and then I met his ex girlfriends um, but he he likes a, a strong confident woman and uh, that is something that also attracts him is a strong confident woman who is strong and confident in the face of other people telling her that she shouldn't be strong and confident and I didn't like it for ages I used to if anyone sort of said all that you know their preference was a big person there was part of me that was like oh because of that internalized um, phobia that you have for your own size and I think that actually getting to a point where you can and I have to keep reminding myself of this as well but getting yourself all right Charlotte um, (laughs) she sounds fat don't she sound fat (laughs) love it um but getting to that, uh, <laughs> getting to that point where that's another stage of the dating situation is getting to that point where you can allow someone to enjoy you because you're not experienced in it at all. My dating history varies from guys who were pretending the first guy I ever had sex with told every, basically his friend came over he didn't get involved it wasn't a spit roast and I lost my virginity just to let you know (laughs) he went upstairs and then the rule was that we he said that we shouldn't tell anyone at school because he was quite popular and then his friend went in school the next day and told everyone and the guy I had sex with denied it and denied it to this day and ruined how I found my own sexuality Mm. until I got older and just allowed a guy to enjoy me. And that's not something that someone else has to do. That's something I have to, because you have lots of internalized shit anyway. Mm. Basically, key to making someone fancy you, act like you don't give a fuck. (laughs) Literally, Gillian Anderson, The Fool. (laughs) I know it was a TV program, but she acts like she doesn't care and everyone comes around her. I tell you, the day I stopped looking like I cared if someone fancied me, I've never got so much dick. Really? These, these are good to share your tips, mate. This is, you these can have are, them, mate. These are great, these are great notes. Um, can you uh, tell us about hyperpigmentation? It must be the fat. That's chapter seven. 
Oh, yeah, so that's the, the health chapter, mm. <laughs> which is, uh, that was probably one of the hardest ones to write because I wasn't sure whether I wanted to include health in this discussion just because of the fact that I feel when you are in a fat body, you are constantly, constantly asked to defend your humanity and your right to live mm. in the body that you're in. And again, with the monolith, people assume that every single person that is like over a size 18 must be unhealthy and must mm. have um, heart disease or diabetes and all of these things, um, which is simply not the case. Like you can't sort of, you know, take every fat body and just assume that they're all going to you know, die or ha or be infertile and all of these things. And so with this chapter, it largely consists of the stories of other plus-size women across the world because um, I definitely ask for input from other people. So it's not just coming from me. I wanted other people's voices to be woven within the book. And so it tells really um, some quite triggering some quite heartbreaking stories of women who have gone to the doctor or they've gone somewhere um they've gone to the hospital because they've had a condition and because the doctor has seen them and just judged them for their weight they have focused completely on the person's weight and have ignored the other issues that the women have had which then has led on to things like cancer and um, heart disease and all of these things and even death in some cases because the initial problem that had nothing to do with weight was manifesting while the doctor was talking about you know this person's weight and so for the hyperpigmentation that's basically because I one day I can't remember what the situation was but I had a bruise because I was I don't know being boisterous or I don't know climbing trees or something I can't twerking remember. babes <laughs> <laughs> you, you were doing a Lizzo one afternoon and things got out of hand probably just back here yeah and, uh, <laughs> and basically I had a bruise and it just wasn't going it was on my thigh and it just wasn't going away um and so I went to the doctor because I was like I'm not you know, normally if I do get a bruise, I can't really see it because of my skin. So I'm just like, I could just feel it felt bruisey. And so I went to the doctor and I was like, look, there's this bruise on my thigh. I, you know, fell over or whatever. It's not going away. And he took one look at me and he was like, oh, maybe you need to lose some weight. And I was just like, Come but on. this is a superficial wound. This has mm. got nothing to do with the rest of I've broken of me. my arm. Mm. Might need well, to lose weight. Yeah. Why, yeah. Don't, why don't you try the keto diet? <laughs> exactly. No, I would like it in plaster, please. Exactly. And so with the chapter, I talk a lot about just some of the misconceptions surrounding fatter people and diet and health. And I talk about, you know, BMI and how that is completely the Bullshit. inaccurate the BMI way. Can do oh, one. yeah. The, the BMI is just... The BMI is based on a slim to mid-athletic white man. It doesn't take into account muscle mass. When they first created it, it was created based on a single individual who was a white athletic man and I, I just Definitely think it doesn't take frame into account because a lot of no. women my height are catwalk models because their frame my skeleton is a size 12 if my actual skeleton walked into most of the boutiques in Paris it would be told to leave I have been told to leave <laughs> French boutiques before I have gone to it just wow. gone oh I've popped in and seen a really nice navy blue cardigan with a white trip it's not for you they I, they've just looked at me and gone no and just like, but That's no, but terrible. do you have, no. Um, yeah, in Australia I, as well, I, I, I was once told that dress, I got it out to try on. I was a size 12 and I pulled it off the rack and said, I'd like to try this on. And she went, mm, that won't fit you. And I was like, I'm a size 12. And she went, it would look nice on your slim friend. <gasps> I cried so much. The shade of it all. Oh, That's I cried terrible. for days because I was really young. And yeah, and she just wouldn't let me try it on. But yeah, I doesn't take that into account. I'm probably the same height as Kate Moss. But her wrists are, you know, I would, I would fit one of her wrists into 
um, my finger. You know, should I... that's, that's probably not true. This is fake news. That's not true. That's not true. I have, I've not experimented on Kate Moss's wrists. If you're listening, Kate, I'm sure they're great. I heard just... she's great on a night out, Kate Moss. That's all I know about her. She's I'm quite sure that's fun. true. She's quite fun on a night out, I've heard. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got some stories. They're not for now, though. Uh, have you been on a night out with Kate Moss? I haven't, but I know people that have been out with Kate Moss. Oh, yeah. We won't tell anyone. Oh, let's not put it on the podcast. No. <laughs> oh, we'll, edit, we'll edit it out. None of these people will tweet. Tell us one quick Kate Moss thing. Oh, my God. They're... Are they terrible? They're you all can't. intense. Okay. Oh, all right. dear. All right. Tell us... Tell Message us... me privately and I'll, I'll, I'll... It'll be a copy and paste, so don't feel bad. <laughs> Oh, oh, but do not message her after 10.30pm or she'll think you want something. Um, oh, come. A very specific cut-off. Um, it, it's that thing I said earlier on. It's the, um, it's the distraction thing. Because look how distracted uh, you have been about the way that you feel about yourself since that guy did that thing. Um, you know, it's a distraction tool. Like the BMI chart was a distraction tool to make us not look at certain stuff. And I even think this, and I've been thinking about this for a while, I even think this, even within the sort of body positivity stuff. And I, it's so great on my Instagram to see so many amazing bodies all, you know, sort of proud and everything. But I would also think think at some point let's get to a point where we're, we're not, not obsessing the, about it yeah. we're not the image like yeah. some, I think with stuff like that because that's a big kind of body neutrality kind of position I think where in a perfect world I kind of feel like we shouldn't care about our bodies we should just care about the amazing stuff our bodies can do and focus on our personality traits and our talents and the things that we could offer and I think in a perfect world that would be amazing. I think, like communism on paper, it's great. <laughs> but when you adapt it into real it life, work. it doesn't work. Body neutrality, I don't think, can exist while we still have fat phobia. Because mm. it's for people that have privileged bodies and can walk about and not you know, be stared at or memed or have photos taken of them or people refuse to sit next to them or you know, not be able to find clothes in stores we can not think about our bodies as much as possible, but, but society will always remind us that we are fat. Society, wherever we look on billboards, if we're talking to friends, family, doctors, all of these things, people are always going to bring up our weight. So we have no choice for the most part to always have weight on our minds if you fall outside of the realm of what society considers beautiful. So while I really wish body neutrality was a thing, and it is for some people, definitely, I think while people have this fear not so much a fear more this kind of you know fake concern slash disgust or whatever it is for bigger bodies I don't think it can be a thing that could globally sort of work mm. with everybody I think agreed agreed and hopefully we will get to that nirvana one day but it's not going to happen not the next in our six lifetime. months no um, <laughs> one of the other brilliant points you make in your book is about not commenting on if someone's lost weight or assuming if you look good, you must mm. have lost weight. You look great. Have you, have you lost weight? Mm. Just the sort of sometimes... I did fertility treatment. I put on loads of weight because I was pumping all sorts of things into my body. And then I stopped doing that. And something else happened in my life. And I just ended up losing a lot of weight really quickly. And loads of people go, oh, you look so great. You look amazing. And I was just like, are you saying that I didn't look great last year? Because I thought I did. Yeah. And actually, I was bigger than I'd ever been. But we were in a real Joan from Mad Men era. And I was really dressing it up. And I thought I looked really hot. But the year later, when I lost all this weight, I had so... Just people would just kept going on about it. Mm. And one woman, she was... She'd had a few drinks but I love her but she backed me up into a corner at a party and said just say you look amazing just admit it and I said I'm all right actually I said I think I looked great before and I look great now and but you know I might put on weight again and then are you going to back me 
up into, I didn't say this to her, but are you going to back me into a corner and go, admit that you don't look as good as you did in January? Do you know what I mean? So I was just like, I was just like, no, I'm all, I'm all good. But she'd had a few drinks and I just wasn't going to get out unless I said it. And it felt quite violent because in yeah. the end I just had to go, yeah, I look really amazing. And I still regret doing it because I felt like I'd cheated myself by doing it. Mm. She had meant it to be kind, but it wasn't about me. It was about her because she has told me before that she has issues with her weight. And somebody brilliant said to me recently that she was, when she was young, she'd had more weight on it. She was, uh, as a, as a grown up, she hadn't. And an auntie said to her, you look really good now because you used to struggle with your weight when you were a kid. You used to struggle with your weight. And she said, and I said to her, no, you used to struggle with my weight. I never struggled yeah, with my weight. Bitches. You struggled with my weight. And that's, no, that's it. That is it. And you have to turn it around and go, are you struggling with my weight? Because it's yeah. not on you. You're not, it's nothing to do with you. Yeah. Um, it's a fantastic book. Is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say or anything you want to direct us to? I, I feel like the only other thing I can say is, uh, so one of the questions that I tend to get asked quite often is how to be like a good ally when it comes to the body positive movement or when it comes to fat acceptance, fat or... acceptance or, you know, the black community, these kinds of things. And I think when it comes to, because one of the th biggest gripes I think people have with people with platforms in the body positive area is that they think, oh, I'm not allowed in the body positive community. Is it because I'm slim? That's like mm. one of the main critiques that you know we tend to get in that community and I just wanted to say that everybody is allowed to feel however they feel about their body I don't think you know nobody is saying that you have to be happy because you're slim or you have to be happy because you have a socially accepted body but I think the difference between the actual movement of body positivity and just general everyday self-love is that the movement was created for specific bodies in mind it wasn't really created for a free-for-all Everybody can chip in and love themselves because slimmer people, you can love yourself loudly anywhere, all the time, wherever you want. You don't come up with any kind of resistance. But when fat people love ourselves loudly and unapologetically, people don't like it. People hate it. They don't like to see confident fat people living their lives because we live in a hierarchy, unfortunately, of desirability where a lot of the times fat people are at the bottom. And now that we are in this new kind of generation where people are talking a lot more about positive body image and we're seeing fatter people loving themselves loudly and openly and unapologetically and being successful and having great boyfriends and having great sex and having great jobs, it's almost like... Sometimes this, it's hard. Sometimes. <laughs> he's, he's not always great, you know? I just Not always, not 100% of the time. I, no, that's very... True. I just want to put it out there that my relationship is fucking hard work all right <laughs> he currently lives in someone else's flat we're having a month away from each other it's been intense <laughs> oh god what are you eyeing for i'm having the best time of my life my house is a bin right now he is not telling me to tidy up it is excellent <laughs> but um, if i i am um, no lockdown's been no i think it's a great idea tom do you want to go away for a month for lockdown <laughs> Just, just, just suggestions. We don't, we don't have kids, and you know he's having, he's living in London. He's having a nice. I see yeah, him all no, the time. No. I speak, I, I, I speak I to him all the time. I everything's fine, okay? <laughs> no, I, I went away for a week as well, and it's just good because lockdown is it's quite. Tom and I've got on super well. It's just it is quite it's quite a lot, isn't it? Because if you're not seeing other people as much yeah, as possible, it's intense. Mm. I wanted to say something about that thing you were just talking about um, mm. about people feeling like they're excluded from the sort of fat acceptance and body positive movement because they're not you know, one of the bodies that it was designed for. My uh, way to solve this is get fat. And then you can be there. <laughs> but if you don't want to get fat, then maybe you shouldn't be in the group. 
<laughs> I think I think it's more a case of also like there are people that you know want to talk about this and love their bodies loudly but there are ways in which you can do that where you don't center yourself in the conversation mm. so if that means uplifting and retweeting reposting bodies that are you know fall outside of what is seen as privileged or mm. you know just increasing visibility of you know black voices uh, fatter bodies disabled bodies all of these kinds of things and not always rooting thinness as the ideal mm. then there are ways in which you can be allies and like include yourself in the movement without kind of making it about your body and its privilege there's so many people in my world who i know who have teenage daughters who suffer from an eating disorder who are thin i don't want to also say if you're a thin person that is struggling with image with weight you are also part of this conversation and you are absolutely also part of a patriarchy telling you that you need to take control over something yeah. it's absolutely important agreed um, and we yeah. all feel these feelings um so this particular discussion is around fat bodies moving through the world and stephanie's book i think everyone should read it because it's about black fat women walking through the world and what that experience is but if you yourself are feeling these feelings and you have anxiety around uh, weight and you feel you have an eating disorder even a mild one speak out about it get help um, yeah. there's absolutely nothing there's nobody in the world that you could possibly have that doesn't deserve to feel loved that doesn't deserve to be nourished and doesn't deserve to be moved um, so please whatever body you've come in here tonight or you're listening to around the world love it look after it and uh, speak to someone if you feel that you're not doing those things absolutely <laughs> Um, I, ju I just want to say, right at that beautiful moment that we had, this woman over here absolutely did the most incredible sneeze I've ever heard in my oh. life. <laughs> no diggity. <laughs> no, no diggity. I had, uh, I had a negative COVID test. COVID test oh, yeah, actually, that's very good. When did you have that negative COVID test? 48 hours ago. 48 hours. Okay, so if you haven't gone the last 48 hours, that's great news for everyone. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, one of my favourite acts coming out now. Please put your hands together and make incredible Guilty Feminist woohooing noises for the wonderful Jane Adams! Just some thoughts that I've been having recently. As I told you earlier on, when we had that moment where we all were gasping at when I listened to a whole uh, Lizzo album um, I will think about that for ages guys I also um, have just watched the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise <laughs> so late to the party also terrible terrible movies um, but it's <laughs> fucking terrible but Jamie Dornan mmm <laughs> <laughs> Although he was making that at the same time as The Fall. I mean, what a range. <laughs> um, I was thinking that Fifty Shades of Grey is porn for women because um, I went on once one of those porn websites, you know. Um, just I have a little look at what the boys were looking at and there is a lovely little section called Porn for Women. I recommend it highly. Um, uh, you have to find it, like dig quite deeply into the into. I mean, you've got to get past quite a lot of horrific stuff. But if you're one of those people like me that can just remove things from your mind once you've seen them, um, you'll be great. 
But I was thinking that Fifty Shades of Grey is literally like porn for women. And why I say that is because it is the unrealistic fantasy for women like me who believe that they can change a man. <laughs> and I, you know, I came after watching it. There's a bit in Fifty Shades of Grey where Christian walks her up his aeroplane, up the stairs with her in his arms. And I was thinking when I was watching that, the only way that Rich could do it is if we were in the sea or we were on the moon. <laughs> and there was this other bit, which isn't funny. There's no punchline or anything, but there's this little, another bit. He gives her this, like in one of the, uh, one of the movies, he gives her this little charm bracelet and she goes, <laughs> why? <laughs> what was funny about the bracelet? It doesn't look funny. It looks like a shit charm bracelet. All right. Also, I have a little, this might be slightly controversial, and I say this as someone who knows um, the, the wonderful woman who sat next to me. Both of us have um, uh, been in a taxi before and spoken about our love for this particular fashion designer. But I was thinking about Vivian Westwood and how I always say I've got lots of Vivian Westwood, but what I mean is I have a lot of hats and shoes from Vivian Westwood because Vivian Westwood does want to save the planet, but she doesn't want to dress fat people. Anyway... <laughs> Am I wrong? No. Am I wrong? Because I'm telling you what, I don't fit in anything of hers. All right? Yes. I feel um, like she might have missed the turn off Vivian Westwood lately. Yeah, I mean, yeah. something's going on there. But you're, the, you're wearing one of her earrings. I am wearing one, as I, as I slag her off. That's just like me. <laughs> um, I do have a one ear, earring in it, because I lost the other one, and I was like, mm, that's cool, isn't it? Yeah, wear one earring. Yeah, yeah. Um... And then I was thinking about how pleased I am that um, COVID has lessened because it was very intense when we were all living together. Like I said, my partner and I, I, I think I told you this, that we moved another person in. Oh, no, no, I didn't tell you. So we moved someone in because we were having couples therapy just before. And then the government said to us, oh, you're going to have to stay with each other for five months. And we looked at each other and went, no fucking way. <laughs> So we have a friend who lives on his own because his girlfriend's in New York and we told him, we're very worried about your mental health. You need to come and live with us. <laughs> um, and he's been, To dilute. To dilute the arguments. And we were on our best behaviour and... Uh, <laughs> What was really funny is um, because I didn't have stand-up anymore, all I had was cooking, and I did, like, Heston-style cooking on the two of them, and I found that I had an audience just like I do for stand-up, and it felt the same, except for the guy who moved in with us put a load of weight on and was really annoyed about it, and I went, well, babes, you did come and stay, went in Rome! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one thing I will say, just to finish this off, is I'm so pleased that some things are starting to go back to normal... I am very sad about one thing, though. I will say this. I'm very sad about the end of Phantom of the Opera. If, you, if you've seen me before, you'll know about my massive obsession with Phantom of the Opera. I found a friend who would understand about this because we've sang Phantom at each other with going, Alexa, volume 10, think of me. <laughs> so I phoned, her, I phoned her up, and she reminded me that, yes... Phantom of the Opera is no longer on the West End, but what this does open up is rural areas in the UK putting on their own version of Phantom of the Opera, because who doesn't want to see the Basildon players do Phantom? Yeah. 
Because now it's not, it's, it's not competing with a West End show, so you, they'll be allowed. They'll be all over now. And that oh. will happen for a lot. I, that, will, that will happen all over the you country. Could, you could tour a one-woman show. Just do, you could just perform in fields. Night time. I could do him. I just want to be him, though, not her. Or the Carlotta. Wouldn't you rather have my precious little angel? I'd love to do that as well. <laughs> I think you should do the whole thing on your own. I really do. I'd pay oh to see that. Oh, God, that's such a good idea. Yeah. Can you do a bit of her? Um, what? People turn the first lady of the stage. Your devotees are on their knees to it for you. Oh, wow, that sounds great. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> that's so good. I'm just getting a message from Charlotte. She's saying she'd like to be in it. Uh, she's the Phantom of La Gothique, and she'd yes, like. She you'd like. She'd like to. She'd like you to write a musical called The Phantom of the La Gothique. I'm, I've, re- I'm, I've got her name now. I could write a little think something for her. I yeah. mean, I'll get someone else to play the piano. I'm not. I only know I'd play Chorus and Kissing You by Desiree. Um, <laughs> that, that's limited. So that's yeah. No. I had um, piano lessons in the 90s, uh, as you can tell. <laughs> And then stopped. No diggity. So, before we get our musical act on, uh, where can we follow you or see you, Jade Adams? Well, I'm on all the social medias, including TikTok. I've, uh, I'm doing it. And tell um, us about your sh- TV show, your oh. Netflix show. Oh, yes. So I'm on uh, Netflix or Channel 4, but the Netflix one, the edit's better. Um, but uh, I'm on Netflix with Heston Blumenthal with a show called Crazy Delicious, which is all about food and eating, and it's great. Or Snack Masters, which is on Channel 4, which is all about food and snack foods. We get Michelin... Well, it's really great. We get Michelin-starred chefs to recreate famous British snacks without knowing how they're made, and all they get is the snack, and that they lose their mind. It's fabulous. <laughs> What? But snack the thing, masters, snack masters. I didn't know about that one. Okay, it's, snack it's masters. Re- I've had. Uh, you can tell it's good because so, I had comedians get in touch with me going because they don't. You don't watch each other's stuff that much, and I had comedians get in touch with me going, "No, oh, that snack masters thing's actually all right. That is, it's really fun." So I know it's not bad. Yeah. Um, what, like what's that, like what? We did Kit Kat. We've done Monster Munch. Uh, we just did Domino's, the pizza. They're fresh. I didn't know they make the pizza bases on site. Who knew? Oh, this is fascinating. Okay, and fantastic. The thing I want them um, to watch is my Amazon Prime special, Serious Black Jumper, um, which is a show I wrote. I did my own feminist show last year, which I would love you to come and watch. Uh, to watch online, on telly. Watch Amazon um, yeah. Prime. You, are, you can't come to things very much anymore, so uh, watch Serious Black Jumper on Amazon Prime. And please buy Fatally Ever After by Stephanie Yeboa. Thank you. And follow her on all the social medias. Yep. Um... Uh, it's been so wonderful to be back. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows how many more shows we'll be allowed to do, uh, but this has fed my soul in so many different ways. Uh, it's just wonderful being with you. I'm just, you know, I was feeling really tired today, and I just, you've just refreshed me and revivified me and, and made me feel like I'm, uh, I'm home again. So thank you so much. I love you all genuinely from the bottom of my heart, but more than I normally love you because, no, I don't get to see you anymore. So thank you. Really, really do. Uh, it's been amazing. Uh, a huge round of applause for the incredible Jane Adams. Stephanie Bauer everyone at the New Normal Festival Uh, and now now for our final act she is such a talent I just she makes me cry she makes me full the incredible Amrit Kaur
So the songs I'm singing today don't need much introduction. I think they're quite self-explanatory, apart from the little first phrase I'm going to sing, which is a Sufi phrase from Bulisha that inspired the song that I'm about to sing called Blind. Blind is about blindness to our true selves, to spirituality, to the things that we decide not to see and the injustices in the world. It can be related to many things. Um, and then I'm going to put a little twist on it by adding Scars to Your Beautiful by Alicia Cara. I don't know if it's going to work. I've never done it. So I'm just going to try and see what it sounds like. But um, feel free to join in in that like chorusy bit if you know the song. to be everything I saw no lies I just believed anything every time I thought of a question I left it saying this is the way of the world now accept it see I don't know how to talk anymore I don't even know how to walk anymore I don't understand what this is for anymore Playing God just won't work anymore So take me someplace everybody's blind I want to go somewhere they won't mind me Even I don't know where I am Cause even I don't know who I am Even I don't know There came a day I got sick of the feeling Buried so deep Your words couldn't heal me Cause you'd rather serve two kings than see light And not everything that you think is right See, there's always been fire in this wood 
I might have shown you if I could There was always water in my earth I let myself forget my worth So take me someplace everybody's blind I wanna go somewhere they won't mind me So tell them not to try and find me Cause even I don't know where I am Cause even I don't know who I am Cause even I don't know should know you're beautiful just the way you are and you don't have to change a thing the world could change its heart no scars to your beautiful we're stars and we're beautiful To your beautiful We're stars and we're beautiful Thank you so much for having me And Rakar everybody you can find Amrit on social media A-M-R-I-T-K-A-U-R and we can buy your music, find it on Spotify. Look her up. She's absolutely incredible. She's done... This is your third Guilty Feminist now? Fourth. This is your fourth Guilty Feminist now, of course, because you did the Zoom one as well. This is uh, her fourth Guilty Feminist. I'm sure some of you will have heard her before, but she never doesn't make my the uh, everything stand up. Um, that sounds rude. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. 
Thank you so much, Amrit. Thank you so much, Jade. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you so much, New Normal Festival. I've been Deborah Francis White. You've been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much, wonderful audience. We've been the Guilty Feminists. Good night. You have been listening to the Guilty Feminists with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co host, Jade Adams, and our very special guest, Stephanie Yabar. Music from Amrit Paul. The recording engineer was Charles Tomlinson. The was composed by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinski from the Spontrain Shop. Thanks to Sean Jordan and everyone at the New Normal Festival, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfabulous.com. Thanks for cutting me off, Tom. <laughs> Uh, this well, one. it's a tricky one, that, isn't it? Because yeah. the, it's like the patriarchy cutting you off, but it's only so that you'll be louder. <laughs> it's a real conundrum for a man, I guess. Oh, say. yeah, that's much better. Oh, Come on. Yeah. Maybe you should say the line about Auntie Margaret again, because I think people only heard, um, so, Auntie, fuck so, you. <laughs> I think that, honestly, I think that's what they heard, and I thought that didn't get as big a laugh as it should have. No, it should have got way more, so... Okay. so The Guilty Feminist will be appearing at the London Podcast Festival at King's Place on Saturday the 26th of September. All the tickets to come and see us live have sold out, but you can get tickets to view the live stream at 7pm and your tickets will also allow you to view it for another 72 hours after that, so if that's not convenient, you have a three-day window. To get your tickets, go to kingsplace.co.uk or follow the link on our website. A huge thank you to all of our amazing patrons sponsoring us at the Smash the Patriarchy level or above. John Quilcoy, Sarah Brown and Sarah Boom. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.